Hello, and welcome to the season finale of When Survival Looks Like Success, episode 23. This episode is called Surviving After Success, and today we are on location, if we sound a little different. We are guest recording at Pillar and Pride, which is an amazing health and wellness shop at 7 and Woodward in Detroit, featuring tons of local goods, supplements, community activities, food, tons of vegan food, which we'll tie into today's episode, and resources galore. So make sure you give them a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Pillar and Pride. So I want to start off by thanking everybody for listening, following along. Um, I love the fact that when I started this podcast, I was just walking my dogs around and listening to other people's podcasts. And kind of sadly, all the podcasts I was listening to are no longer on air. Like they're not recording. Maybe they're taking a long hiatus. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but um, they've kind of gone off. And I'm happy that we've gotten this one beautiful full season down and we became award-winning, winning third place for best podcast um, in our Detroit Best of Detroit 2022. So thank you for voting. And I'm going to be working. Um, if you don't follow me already, make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at When Survival Looks Like Success, because in the interim, there's going to be a ton of content. I'm going to be talking about things that are coming up. Season two is going to be video done so you can see all the weird faces I make because that actually is a request. I mean, honestly, I think people just want to look down my shirt. I'm not going to lie. I think that's what the video requests are, but that's okay. I am right now. You can, right? I mean, and I'm wearing a pretty like covered up shirt, but it just happens. Um, So it is going to be video. And there is going to be coming up really soon a Facebook group, When Survival Looks Like Success. And I'm hoping it's going to be a national group for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs to join so we can discuss our mental health struggles and the struggles we have when it comes to like owning a business, starting a business, operating, and just kind of floating around in this crazy thing called life so we don't feel so lonely. So I'm really looking forward to everything season two has to bring and expanding on what we've created because I feel like this was the seed and now like I want it to blossom even more, especially in Detroit because Detroit has my heart. I've been offered so many jobs out of state, but I really can't leave Michigan. I'm just such a Detroit girl. So when I started this podcast, the one guest I really, really, really wanted to have on for a big old episode was Karen Kahn. And I didn't know her at the time. She was the creator of Nosh Pit Detroit, and she was a and she's currently a contributor to many vegan restaurants in the past, in the future, in the present, um, and so many other vegan businesses and communities in the Detroit area. She was leading a bit of a similar journey to me in that we were both becoming really transparent simultaneously about our health, mental health, successes, and failures on social media which has become more popular, but I feel like at the time that we really started, people weren't going into these like gory details. So um, doing that while you're at the peak of your success is hard. It's vulnerable. And so let's just keep doing it, right? <laughs> That's what we're here to do. So without further ado, I'm so excited to jump down the rabbit hole with today's guest, Karen Khan. Hi, Karen. Thank you, Jessica. 
<laughs> she whispers it real sexy. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Um, like we're doing some kind of cigar advertising or something. Yeah, there you go. Invisible cigarettes. No real cigarettes. We don't do that anymore. We're like, you know, over 25 and don't smoke cloves. <laughs> And I'm tramic anymore. Karen still does. Never mind. Um, she's like, I did on the way over. No. Um, okay. I don't anymore. Um, so in America, I think there is this garbage mentality where we have this internal script that says, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. I'll be happy when I lose weight. I'll be happy when I fall in love. I'll be happy when I open my own business. I'll be happy when I make 50,000 a year and so on and so forth. Like, I mean, I know I've thought a million of them. I've heard a million of them, but that is just not the case. It's not. So Karen, I would love if you could tell people a bit about your journey in the last 10 years or even further before that. And if you ever had that, I'll be happy when script in your head at any given moment. You know, I'm so glad that you asked me to speak on this because it's only been in the last 10 years that I shifted my perspective on happiness. Because when I was younger, I was a go-getter and I was trying to kind of get out of my life into the happy. I told myself I had to be the smartest kid. I went to an Ivy League school, still money for it, but it was always that whole doing the best for society and not necessarily for myself. And it was 10 years ago exactly that I got married and my grandmother moved in with us. And my grandmother had dementia and came with a passport that was not stamped. And I asked her, where were you going to travel? (laughs) And she said, well, I really wanted to go to Israel. So we had the blessing of my husband got offered a job in Israel and all of us went, me my husband and my two kids. Now, prior to 10 years ago, I was a single mom. So we didn't have that kind of privilege or perspective. But one of the things that I learned from my grandmother during the four years that she was with us, we basically kind of went on a bucket list. We went to Vegas. We went to Israel. If it was 10 o'clock at night and she wanted a sandwich, we ordered a sandwich. And it was a shift of perspective for me of having been working so long for other people to then switch my primary goal from making money to making sure that we're happy. Mm -hmm. And that happened about then because it had been for my grandmother all about how she was feeling. And as someone who struggles with chronic illness... I had always kind of said, oh, if you're sick, you you can't do things. Mm-hmm. And here's my grandmother with congestive heart failure and only a couple of years left, and we're on the plane to Israel. Right, and she's like kicking ass. Yes. And taking names. It changes your perspective. So we came back to the U.S., and I bought a food truck, and I told myself I was never going to work for anyone else again. So prior um, to that, so it's interesting because I just picked 10 years out of my like ass, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because my crazy journey really started 10 years ago too, um, for, I want to call it phase three of my life. I think <laughs> I've had three big chapters in my life and we'll see what phase three turns out to be. But, 
um, like phase one was like my adolescence, right? It's childhood, adolescence, um, everything kind of leading up to massage school. And then I was in this relationship and engagement and um, bought my first house and started my career as a massage therapist. And then that all kind of went to shit at the exact same time and I ended up super poor and I've talked about it on my podcast before, but poor and um, like squatting in a house and working five jobs and car got repossessed and 50,000 in debt. And um, that was 10 years ago. And I like met my husband, I met my ex boss and I just started digging myself out with like, not a shovel, like a spoon. Yes. (laughs) I think that's what a lot of people maybe don't understand about struggle. You're not always given this big, you're not given a big shovel. You're sometimes given like a teaspoon or like, I don't know, a hat. I don't (laughs) But you're not given this like big opportunity. Like people think that, and I've gotten that question a lot. Like I think they think I've had some like massive amounts of privilege and I'm like, I haven't had shit. Well, that's part of the reason why I I mentioned where I went to school because I had- Where did you go to school? Columbia University. Oh, I actually didn't know that. I knew you went to school. I knew you went to to a pretty good college. my first master's from UVA, and that was music composition. And then I got my second master's here at Davenport University, MBA. What music composition? Oh, what so, kind of music composition? Here we go back to the topic of I got to college. So my life is a series of jumping in heads first, realizing that I can't swim, figuring out how to swim, then doing it over and over again. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stubborn, but I've also been through a lot of trauma. And it used to be that I would just turn it off and not feel it and just move forward, march forward. I take it from my marching band days. You know, you kind of have to keep on going. Right. If you mess up, you can't just stop. Like, I remember that, like, in high school, I remember doing singing competitions if I was sick. And I like coughed or something like even actually I was talking to the owner of Pillar and Pride before we started and we were talking about editing and I'm like, I leave everything in. Like if we always wear all the time, but if I hiccup or a cough or whatever, I leave all that in because the farts too. Um, you know, there's a bathroom right there. (laughs) So I highly encourage that even though there is a lot of incense happening here, but Mm -hmm. still it's right there. So you don't even, I mean, you might even be able to take the microphone. Oh no, don't take the microphone with you. That would be bad. But, um, you know, it's, I was talking about that, like just leaving, you know, all that in because like Mm -hmm. you, that's what you got to do. You got to acknowledge like, oh damn. It's like the Instagram culture. We see all the best, happiest moments. And one of the things that you noticed is I didn't want to just be the best, happiest moments that I shared with other people. Because there's so many people that are going through that trial over and over again. And for the last five years, I've struggled with a lot of illness. So I want to scale back. So with music composition and an MBA, what was your original aim? Because I don't want to jump ahead because I feel like your physical health has a lot to do with the business that you ended up in. Mm -hmm. But I want to scale back a little bit to what did you intend to go into before your grandma moved in? When I was in high school, I wanted to be an English teacher. Okay. Then I got to college, and 
I'm dyslexic. Oh. And we only had typewriters. We didn't have computers back Word then. processors. Yes. I don't know if people remember those. They looked like computers, but they weren't computers. Mine, I could see one line at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's frustrating yeah. for me. I'm dyslexic. I have yeah. ADHD. It's very hard to... And no one was diagnosing me. ADHD back then either. Nope. They were just like saying like dumb shit to you. Yep. Like calling you stupid or calling you slow or what were, is there anything that sticks out in your head that someone called you? Um, my German teacher actually marched me down to the office of disabilities and said, I need her tested. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said, she's great at hearing things, but she can't write worth <laughs> something like that. But I'm grateful for him yeah. because he was able to notice it oh, for years. Nobody okay. else noticed they it. just pushed you through. Cause it was either you were smart mm-hmm. or you weren't smart. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was in the gifted class. They don't look at the gifted kids for learning disabilities. No, they don't. And that's like something that I think at this point, they're starting to see a pattern of gifted kids that have different learning disabilities. They're starting to see that that's an overwhelming. Albert Einstein had uh, dyslexia and he was so smart. Actually, that is something that my, my general practitioner told me is, Usually the really, really smart ones are also neurodivergent. And especially because you're being forced to think differently, you're utilizing different areas of your brain that you just normally wouldn't be if you had that type of comprehension. It's like forcing you not only to work harder, but work in a different manner. And I feel like that can really translate. But there's a personality thing that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to realize I was a people pleaser. And it was from years of wanting to do my best in school. It was from years of pushing myself a little bit more to... And did you lie? Like, did you lie about when you did get tested about being dyslexic? Or were you pretty um, transparent then, too, about it? Um, most of my lies when I was younger was when I wasn't done with what I was supposed to have done. Okay. You know, like, I would skip a class rather than turn in a assignment late, you know? Right. Um, the dyslexic, I think I had to lean on it in college. I didn't know it in high school, but my son was actually diagnosed dyslexic while he was growing up and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> and so that it actually, went. you can kind of guide him through that a little bit more having been through that yourself. Yeah, but my oldest is stubborn as hell, just like I am. Oh. <laughs> well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Nope, not at all. So, okay, so you wanted, so you wanted to use a composition and MBA, which is not English teaching at all. So <laughs> we're at that point where you're just like, oh, I think I'll be financially better off if I go into that, so, which is what so many people are encouraged to do. So the MBA came after my kids were born. I was a single mom. I was working in IT and I hit the cap of where I could go. And it was a couple of choices. Daycare was getting so expensive that I actually did like the math and I probably would have saved more money had I just quit work and watched my kids and went on government support. But that's not me. I have to work. Yeah. So I ended up finding a night operator job that was from 4 p.m. to midnight. And I went to school during the day. And I chose Davenport University only because they had free daycare at that time Mm -hmm. or paid daycare. It was daycare. 
so I could actually drop off the kids and go to school. Mm-hmm. And I had the choice of, well, I told myself either an MBA or law school. <laughs> yeah. And I did take the LSCT and I did well, but I did better on the GRE for the MBA. Okay. So, yeah. And I definitely feel like when it comes to law, like I could, I could see you being a lawyer. <coughs> see, we leave the coughs in. Um, I could see you being a lawyer. I really could because I think you're passionate and I think that would have bode very well. But at the end of the day, I feel like so much of that passion gets lost in the analytics of it. So the things that kept me going were the stubbornness and the not wanting to give in to the fear. Because I was poor. I bought my first house in Pontiac when I was 25, and both my kids were born in Pontiac. And I ended up losing that house in a bankruptcy after the kids were born. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Okay. But so the night operator job didn't stick around too long then. That one was a little bit after that. That's okay. when I went back to school. And how I afforded everything was I worked for a place that reimbursed me for half of the school. Oh, wow. So I used that money on childcare. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But at that time, I had bought my second house in Rhode and that's where the kids grew up mostly. And that's where your grandma moved in. My grandma moved in when we were in Royal Oak. Okay. Before I got married. So was your grandma still with you when you got your first food truck? She was. Okay. And what was her like what was her opinions on that? Actually, I tell this fun story all the time. Um I had a meeting. It was myself, Stefan, our friend, Jason, my husband, and my grandmother was at the table eating her soup. So she's eating at the head of the table, and the rest of us are discussing what kind of a name would go for a vegan truck that wasn't vegan, but also had like the hint of rock and roll, because Stefan came from music, I'm a musician, and... Bubby eating her soup at the end of the table says, Nosh, it has to be Nosh. And she has more of the Jewish New York accent. Mm-hmm. Nosh, it's a snack. Don't you guys know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then um, I think it was Jason who said pit. And it just stuck. Right. Like it, for like all of you youngins listening, like, I don't know if they have mosh. Do they still have mosh? They still have mosh pits. Okay, good. Because I'm like... I think the last like bigger show I went to, I was like, where's the mosh pit? Cause now they're like really concerned about security everywhere. Right. So they're like really cautious about all that, but like, Oh my God, I remember this one heavy metal show I went to when I was 19 with this boy that I was just dreadfully in love with. And he like, like some guy like fell on my neck in this mosh pit. And I remember being like wanting to play it off so cool, but it was like the worst pain in the world but I was like oh I'm fine well I have a fun story about a mosh pit um at the nosh pit restaurant a guy walked in one day and he said I left my wallet on the bus and I said okay I'll still feed you you just come back when you get your wallet Mm -hmm. so I served him lunch and he left and he came back 
with the rest of the band that was playing that day at the sanctuary. I'm like, I thought it was a public bus. I'm so sorry. Like, You're like, no, it was like this rack. But like, so then bus. they gave us all tickets for the show. Aww. Do you remember what band was it? I don't remember. My brain with names. Was it a good so show? The best part about the show was I brought the teenagers yeah. and they all moshed in the mosh pit and I'm like half yes. watching, half not watching. Cause I'm like, I'm watching my kid get thrown around. By a whole bunch of but they probably loved it. They did. Yeah. It's like an exhilarating and also like traumatizing experience at the same time. But it's like, you know, you got to do it once. So you have your, your grandma's, your grandma's suggested name mosh pit, which is so good. And that was, so that was 10 years ago or was that about nine it was about uh, timelines here. My grandmother lived with me from 2012 until she passed in 2017. So okay. it was in that range. Okay. So you get the, now at the time there was, was there any other vegan food trucks? No. Yes. Yeah? Shimmy Shack. Oh, there was Shimmy Shack. Deborah. Yes. Yeah. So Deborah had hers, but she's like a little bit more, she's down in Plymouth, right? So she was there and then she was at a couple other events too, like up here. But I know like primarily she was down in that region. Yes. Um, and so then that was it though. <laughs> well, one of the ways that we wanted to, to slide into it is my job before I quit my job to move to Israel was a project manager at waste management. And I worked in sustainability services and recycling. And I wanted to more than just vegan. I wanted to have a sustainable truck. Right. So, cause we, I think your truck was the first place I had compost. Comp, why can't I talk today? Compostable flatware. Yes. And I remember I was at this festival and my husband was like, what is this? He's like, my plate's like made from corn. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. It's compostable. <laughs> we wanted to be zero waste. It doesn't work that way. We tried. Yeah. Um, we had a recycling bin and a compostable trash bin for like the first six months. And then <laughs> um, we realized that we were pulling too much trash out of the recycling bin. That was. Yeah. But. We did indeed in our kitchen com compost. We had mm -hmm. compost pickup every week. Um, all of our food scraps went into something else. And we did that too with even the truck. We tried to do used materials. We tried to make it so that we weren't throwing a lot of things out and weren't buying new things. So Nosh Pit really grew in popularity. I feel kind of fast. Like it was at the time, there wasn't a ton of options. There really was, there was a couple like, you know, like places like in season and um, like you had these like little hubs, right. Of yes. places where you could go, but it wasn't like this. You couldn't go to Kroger and get a ton of stuff. You could get a few things, right. But it wasn't like this overwhelming, like now there's so many options and it's like, Woohoo, plant-based world. Yes. But I mean, at the time it wasn't, that wasn't super common. So I feel like Nash Pit grew. I mean, I, years before I think I'd ever even been to your truck, like I was like hearing all about it. And um, so what was going on during that time where you had just the food truck with like your health? So when I first started the food truck, I was, which I would do want to go on I'm 
sad that it closed, but there's also that part where it's almost like giving vaccines or trying to prevent a disease or my goal was to promote veganism. Right. And I had to work hard to get the gigs that we did. I was constantly calling festivals and say, do you have a vegan option? Do you have a gluten-free option? And I was able to slide into things that other trucks have been doing for years because I started spreading the awareness. Um, now, Which, mind you, mm-hmm. the last couple of festivals I've been to that did that had one vegan option, that truck was through, like, it was blowing up. Mm-hmm. Even if a non-vegan truck had one vegan option, that yes. was the line that everyone was in. Yes. So if you're out there and you're having a festival and you don't have a vegan option, I'm just going to say, like, what the hell are you doing? Yes. Because it's a money maker. Because even if you're not vegan, a lot of people have, like, food restrictions. Yes. A lot of people, especially, like, with diabetics nowadays, they're really like recommending whole food plant-based. Yes. A lot of people are just more health conscious. So it's like, it pays to even have one freaking vegan option. Yes. And so Nosh Pit really like paved the way, especially for healthier stuff, because a lot of it was like handmade, you know, yes. it was like something that like, you would make in your kitchen if you were in fact a good vegan cook. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was a positive and that was also our downfall. Yeah. That our food was so labor heavy. Yeah. That- COVID is what did us in. And yeah. it wasn't just that there weren't as many people coming. It was that we Time. had such a small staff that when one staff member caught COVID and it started spreading through our, our restaurant, yeah, we had a pause. And well, just yeah. those two weeks of being off. Mind Time you, is everything. When it comes to food prep and like numbers matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So during... So during, okay, during the first oh, food was, truck. Yes, you I know, asked me about my health. Yeah, so, because it all kind of goes hand in hand, so I'm trying to stay a little bit chronological. Yes. So, yeah, so during the first, your initial reign of, you know, queen vegan food truck, what was going on with your health? So I've always had problems with depression and anxiety all of my life. Mm-hmm. That was about 2010 that... I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. but we didn't know which one it was. We just knew that some of my levels were off and I was having inflammation. Mm -hmm. So after a couple of years, they put me on methotrexate, which is a pretty heavy drug. And about the same time that I started that, I ended up with hemolytic anemia, which is a form of anemia where your blood cells are not maturing to where they need to be. Right. So then I have to start going to the doctor pretty regularly and give it, given all kinds of tests. And as that goes on, my thyroid is having problems because I have Hashimoto's, which is another autoimmune disease. If you have one autoimmune disease, guess what? They're going to find They another. do. They're yes. like, they're coexisting, co-disordering. Yes. Um, you know, they've, they've done that. I have Epstein-Barr. And like in most recent years, that's what they found. They're like, oh, we find Epstein-Barr antibodies in 21 different autoimmune disorders. And it's like, if you have one, it can take another area of your body. Yes. And pretty soon there's just this chain reaction, like boom, 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 firing all over the place. And then the chain reaction tests. And that I have some PTSD after having seven surgeries to remove body parts. Yes. The first one was when I was 29, I had a hysterectomy. Okay. And I had my gallbladder out and then my tonsils out. What were they trying to do? Is it just that these organs were failing and they were like, we don't know what's wrong. So we're just going to take it out. 
Well, the first one, the hysterectomy, that one was cervical cancer. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, you get a bad pap smear. They yeah. tell you, come back. They do it again. Well, they did that like five times and finally said, oh, we have to do a leap on you. They do a leap, which is they cut off part of your cervix. Okay. And it was when I was pregnant with my first that wow. they referred to me to an oncologist because they couldn't do a leap anymore. And there was definitely new growth. And I am grateful for my life through this oncologist who basically said, hey, I don't usually tell single girls this, but if you want to have a baby, this is your time. So, Right. But yes. that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. They're like, I mean, it does. And he told me if I wanted to have the baby, that there was a good chance if I had a natural delivery that all of the cancer would be like wiped away because you lose all of your blood and stuff out of your uterus when you give birth. So there's a very good chance that they'll scrape all the cancer out. Well, doesn't that just sound like the golden fucking ticket? With a nine pound, 12 ounce baby. <laughs> and I ended up with 37 stitches and he broke his collarbone coming out. But yes, I did indeed do it naturally. <laughs> <laughs> so so you got the golden ticket. It was a hard earned golden ticket. And then, But was it in fact a golden ticket? Did it work? Nope. Okay. Because my second one, which was 17 months later, which it was, if you ever wanted me to do something, you tell me I can't do it. Right. If you tell me I have cancer and it's going to be extremely difficult to have another child, you better believe I'm going to try to have another child and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be successful. <laughs> it's how I ended up playing upright bass. Yeah. Which I can tell you, that's a little fun story. <laughs> um, when I was 12, we moved from New York, New York State down to Florida and in New York, I had played viola in orchestra. Florida is not orchestra country. It is band country. Yeah. So I'm at this little middle school and I was kind of poor. And I said to the music teacher, I can't afford music lessons. I can't afford to rent an instrument. Do you have a stringed instrument I can borrow? And he looked at me and he said, I do, but I don't think that you can play. it." <laughs> and you were like, watch me. He said, well, if you play it, you're going to have to carry it. Don't ever let anyone else carry it for you. Okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so he gives you the biggest uh, ass instrument. He did. And I wouldn't let anyone carry it. I remember my dad or my grandfather yeah. being like, let me get the free. Nope. No. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll see someone walking home from school and they're toting around this giant upright bass. And I'm like, that is baller. Which I rode subways and walked around yep. with in New York City for four years. Yes. And they and people probably, did he, they even really give you second glances because I feel like it's New York and I don't see a lot of second glances. Like, oh, it's a bass. Got it. If we go to the subject of, of happiness, the biggest happiness moment was when I decided I wouldn't give a what anyone thought when they saw me pushing an instrument or carrying yeah. some, I just, I have let go of judgment from others yeah. because the shame and the fear of it, I carried around. Right. It's kind of the whole taking a risk, sticking your neck out. Everyone can see you stuck your neck out yeah. and everyone has an opinion. I remember my mom, she used to have an opinion about everything I did and I just kind of blocked her out to be honest with you. And I just did mm -hmm. what I wanted to do because I was so tired of people putting roadblocks or barriers or judgment yeah. on what my decisions were. So by the time you had, so you had, you did the upright base, you had a first kid, you had a second kid. Mm -hmm. Was the cancer gone after your second kid then? No. 
I had to have a hysterectomy so three that months was afterwards. Three months? Yes. Jeez. And in between the hysterectomy and the child being bored, I ended up in the emergency room clutching my side saying I'm having a heart attack. And the nurse must have been a veteran because she looked at me and she's like, did you just have a baby? I'm like, yeah. She said, it's your gallbladder. Uh, okay. <laughs> apparently it happens when you gain a lot of weight and lose a lot of weight suddenly well in a short amount of time mm-hmm. yeah because you know it's funny when I first lost weight I think I had lost about 50 pounds at that point and I did lose it kind of fast and that was when I got my ulcers and I was really confused as to why I had ulcers and this one doctor was like because I didn't have the H. pylori I didn't have anything else and they were like it happens when you lose weight suddenly just yes. your your stomach acid changes, your bile changes, everything changes, and poof, you can get gallbladder failure, mm-hmm. and um, you can get bile stones, and you can get ulcers. You can get, there's so much weird shit you can get. Um, and that was a point where I decided to go vegan, too. Um, so, you know, if I didn't have those ulcers, I'm at a way to go vegan. But um, I had already been vegetarian for a really long time, but I was like, no, like, I'm not supposed to be doing dairy anyway, so I'm just going to use this as an excuse to go vegan. And I did, and never looked back. And then I continued to lose another 75 after that, but those ulcers, like, wrecked me. Yes. Yeah. It's like, and especially, like, I can't even imagine having, like, baby, baby cancer. It's like, I feel like some kind of weird lottery, like, slot machine, like, baby, baby cancer gallbladder. And you're like, where's the lemon? Like, where's my and then I went. <laughs> I went back to school at that time. I was always working full time. Yeah, I mean, I really told myself that there was no limit on what I could do and how I would get it done. But I was bitter a lot. Yeah, because I saw everyone ha- else having it easier than me. And because how my, old were you at this point? I was twenty nine when my second one was born. Okay, so I mean, that's a lot of shit before thirty. Yes. So while you're working on the food truck, you've already had this like tremendous amount of health stuff. Mm-hmm. So obviously as your popularity is growing and you're booking like, you know, gig after gig after gig after gig, and then having regular gigs and coming back to certain areas and people are following you and your presence is growing. How is your mental health doing at that point? Well, during, let's see the beginning. It was wonderful. It was wonderful because I had nothing to lose. Right. We had no restaurant. It was just the truck, and we were renting a space for a kitchen. You know, it was tough trying to make the ends meet, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the responsibility of other people on my payroll. I didn't have the responsibility of the fans who really counted on us to be there at the festivals. I mean... We were at Mopop every year. We were right. at Motor City Pride every year. I mean, people who went to these festivals, I mean, five years. Yeah. Counted on us being there. Mm-hmm. So, but it was when COVID started that things really started to go to. Because at that so. point, you had switched from the food truck. Now you've purchased this, well, you've leased this yes. restaurant in Hamtramck. Yes. And that was your first, like, essentially sit-down establishment, which I'm... Any food truck owner I've ever met has been, or pop-up, has people begged them to open a sit-down place. I've never met somebody that isn't like literally like pleaded with, like, please God, open a sit-down. So eventually you open the sit-down. Yes, and we got that. It was a little risk, but we knew that we needed our own kitchen. 
and we yeah. knew how much space we needed. Right. And Especially with all that prep. Yes. Yeah. And our, our business model was to run three businesses at the same time. Okay. We had catering, we had the food truck and we had the restaurant. So the trifecta. Yes. Which is a smart plan. Yes. It's like affecting people in every way, shape and form. Like, Oh, vegan wedding. Boom. Done. Oh, festival, boom, done. Oh, Friday night, date night, got that covered. So it's like, that is a really smart plan. And we also separated them out too. So if one went down, it didn't take the other two. Yes. You know, we had to do a whole bunch of strategic moves and we're actually on the right path. We had done a financial forecast and we were going to head into 2019-2020 golden. We were doing the best that we had done. And then COVID hit. How soon after Hamtramck did COVID hit? Like, what was that? So we opened the restaurant in 2017. COVID came in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, but I remember when you first opened, it wasn't like boom full time right away. You started off doing like features and yeah. We wanted it for the kitchen. Right. We decided to serve in the restaurant just a couple days a week Mm -hmm. because we could and we had the space. Yeah. But we did indeed. And you had guest chefs in. Like, I yes. remember that. I remember, like, um, Jessica from Om Cafe did. Yes. Um, when they cl- And then when they closed down, it was, like, a big deal. But she yes. would do some stuff over there. Yes. And who else did you have, like, guest cooking? I could list on and on. So I have had just about... Everyone. <laughs> the the best pop-ups. So I had Estella's. Um, oh, yeah. I've still never been there. Yes. And I had Chef Donny for yeah. months. Um, yeah. Cause he told me, I didn't know he knew you, but then he told me like now that he like worked for you There's for a, a long time. Jamaican pop up. There's another chef, Jessica. We had it yeah. in the Detroit chef chef's news group. Do a pop up. We'll help you veganize your food. Oh, okay. And Deutsch Detroit, the, the German pop up that's doing frame. They actually yeah. did a whole vegan dinner there. I remember that. And it was something that wasn't offered to the community. And then yeah. we started setting up like a Detroit vegans meeting. Everyone so you kind of did, you kind of did frame before frame was there. Like kind of did that frame like thing before frame existed in Hazel Park. Yes. But for veganism, but for veganism. Right. Yes. But that kind of like, which I mean would make it feel so like exclusive and special. Right. Yes. And it's nice to have those special experiences. But what we did was we brought in non-vegan chefs and taught them to cook Vegan. Which makes them more versatile. Yes. Even just having one option makes you versatile. Yes. Like, because people will go anywhere if they don't have to have fucking French fries and, um, oh my God, the worst, the worst vegan thing I ever had. I went to this restaurant and it was a piece of pita bread with half frozen broccoli and cauliflower out of the bag in some kind of like margarine substitute that tasted like chemicals. And it was just like slapped on this pita it was the most disgusting thing I ever had. And I was like, dude, you have like 40 vegetables on your menu. And I even told them what I wanted to. I'm like, I want like the fajita grilled vegetables. Just grill them up, toss them in this pita bread. Yes. Done. Like game over. Nothing else. Like I always keep it simple too. Like I, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. But this was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. come on, dudes. So um, if you ever hear us pausing, it's because we're, there's like these motion lights above us. And I have to do like, you know, that Kermit. Like Jeff, where he's like flailing his arms. I'm like doing that. We're just having a silent disco here. There is a silent disco while you're listening to this. But um, okay, so like COVID hits mm-hmm. and 
And then you switch to like carry out, take out. Yes. That's about the time that my anxiety started going sky high. Yeah. Um, part of it is I have a son that has really severe asthma who was in college. I had some kids who are kind of my kids, but not really my kids, but at college that I had to go and pick up and bring back mm -hmm. because it was scary. The college kids were catching COVID like you wouldn't believe. Right. And then we start getting all of these notices from the health department. You have to use this kind of cleaner. Right. You have to have the tables. The five. restrictions. Yes. And it was 50% capacity. It was 30%. But you know, like the rules kept changing and right. you had to keep on checking in and you would get two different stories from. And the worst thing for me is I'm trying to not get my family sick, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to get my customers sick. Right. Um, yeah. No one wants to be the outbreak monkey. And like, I remember telling people that like, no, I'm not going to open early because like, I just don't want to be the outbreak monkey. If I get sick, I'm, I'm going to give it to everybody. Like, yes. that's just how that is. I'm touching people <laughs> like, naked all day. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, I think that's the thing you can't, because if somebody gets word of that, they will spread that like wildfire. Your reputation is shit. Yeah. That's the end of it. They might love you, but they will spread it and it's game over. And there were a lot of people who stayed home to be safe. So me and Stefan basically ran the line. But as we found more restaurants were closing, whereas we were just kind of taking it a day at a time, I think we had one day closed because of COVID at the beginning. Right. Just one day. Yeah. Um, because I had a mission, people need food. Yeah. So then, yeah, because life isn't hard enough, you've decided to have a food pantry situation. Yes. And so how much food did you end up giving away? Do you know, like, kind of the amount? Over 400 families. 400 families. Yes. Holy shit. So it started with Delbane, mm -hmm. which is the produce distributor. Right. They had extra produce because all the restaurants had closed down. Yeah. So Chef B brought me over one or two boxes from them. Yeah. And then the word came out that I was still... I got so much veg from uh, Danny Lutz up in Yale. He does organic farming. I mean, yeah. there was just this excess of food. Yeah, and people don't want to see it go to waste. They don't. Yes. Like and because it's coming through the restaurant distribution channels, it's either they give it to Forgotten Harvest or they give it to whomever. You know, it's not like it would end up at the grocery store for people to buy it. Yeah. It's a different channel. It is a different channel. So I started gathering everything I could get. VegFest got canceled. VegFest right. gave me all of their sample stuff that they were, and we started putting together boxes for families. And I'm grateful to, I call them my little Jewish ladies. I had a whole bunch of women who just came from um, all of the volunteer groups because people wanted to help. So do you feel like by, it, in the midst of this, because now we're in 2020 and we're deep in 2020. Mm-hmm. Like in one word, what was your mental health like at that point? Not good. I also left my husband. Okay. So, so it was a whole bunch of changes all at once. And I went into almost a survival PTSD thing because I knew my landlord told us that he was putting the building up for sale. Right. With us in it. Right. So we had people coming in and looking at the space and nothing like being in the space and being like, 
I think I want to stay here, but you buy it. <laughs> right. Cause you don't, cause it's like, yeah. Like how do you really approach that? There's kind of not a right or wrong way. There's no manual. So you're, so it's like, <laughs> here's COVID your kids are grown. There's you're running a food pantry mm-hmm. and a restaurant and sort of a food truck. And <laughs> well, what we did was we started to put the food truck in storage. I think it was no, no, we started food truck tours. Oh, you started the food truck tours. Okay. Yeah, it's called your neighborhood bites right now. Okay. It was a lot of us food truckers during yeah. the time of COVID started going to neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. Which was awesome. I'm not yes. going to lie. Yes. <laughs> Cause I live in Singler Shores, which is a food desert. Um, although like Vitour foods, like they're there all the time now, which is crazy to me. Um, because we need more vegan food in Sinclair Shores. If you live in Sinclair Shores, you know, it's true. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. So, um, so then because life isn't crazy enough, you decide to go to Royal Oak and open up a bigger restaurant. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we knew we were leaving losing our spot. Right. And we had a good, what was it? Two months where we had no home. Yeah. And during that two months, were you already divorced at this point? I still haven't gotten a divorce, but we're separated. Right. Okay. So you were separating like, like separating, I would say at that point. Okay. And I got an apartment in Hamtramck, which was kind of a big bummer because I finally lived where my restaurant was. And then I moved my restaurant to Royal Oak. (laughs) Yes. But timing is everything. (laughs) Royal Oak was a risk. It was a huge yeah. risk. But I told myself for our next location, I wanted to be somewhere where people didn't, we didn't have to drag the people to us, but we were where the vegans were. Yeah, it was really central. Yes. I mean, and it was by the movie theater. Yes. And it's like, yeah, so the location did make sense. Yes, because before we were hidden, we were in the middle of a residential block. Right. And the person who bought it actually turned it into a house. Oh, fascinating. Yes. So in Royal Oak, there's no mistaking our restaurant for ours. No, it's giant. Yes. So we really, this is what I said right after we closed, was there's no predictor on when COVID was going to end. No, I think it was really, I, they kind of set it up in a certain way. I feel like they really set it up for people where it was like, here was this big escalation. And then you just thought like a roller coaster, right? Yes. It's going to decline. But the ride wasn't over. Yes. And I think that's where stuff got messy, especially for certain industries. I feel like some industries didn't get too messy after that. Like I felt like my industry, like personal care services and stuff, yes. it kind of had some adaptations, but it wasn't like we're going to change everything every single week and you need to abide. And by the way, if you don't, we're going to give you giant ass fines. Yeah. Constantly. So it's like that. How do you deal with that? And how do you keep staff and how do you figure out your supply and how do you, how do you for, you can't forecast, you yes. know, um, and then food cost. Uh, they yeah. don't teach you in business school what to do during a global pandemic. They Ooh. teach you supply and demand, but you're kind of working off of a couple months data and predicting what's going to happen. There's no predictions. There was no predictions for two years, even now. Um, Actually what I recommend for now is to go more towards meal prep and grocery store food because restaurants is still of a huge risk. Oh yeah. I see. I see one closing down every week. 
Yep. Every freaking week for all kinds of reasons, not just like restrictions anymore, but labor shortage, labor food, shortage. Costs are food costs tripling. are astronomical. Yes. Yeah. Cause even the food grade products I buy at work, I've had mm-hmm. to increase my rates for because I'm like, like a gallon of massage oils, $20 more than it was when I opened. It's funny that you say oil. Cause it yeah. used to be like milk and bread that my mom yeah. would complain about, but for restaurants, I'd say fry oil. Yeah, like oil. The, yeah. Especially if, like, like, I use sunflower oil at work. Uh, that's from the Ukraine. So, yeah. Uh, oh, dear. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I still use it because it's what I like and what I love and what my clients love. And it's hypoallergenic. Yes. But, yeah, especially, like, then a lot of places don't use peanut oil. So, it's, like, at least not anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, certain things like that, people don't consider yes. how quickly that adds up. Fry oil, GFS, it used to be that you could get five gallons for 12 bucks, yeah, 20 bucks, 30 bucks at the most. It's now running 40 to 70, 80 dollars for five gallon of fry oil. Right. Oh, we're doing the current. Yes, let's wave. do the, the current yoga. Yes. Um, so by the, so by the time then you're in the restaurant and you're constantly adapting to 10 million different things. What is going on in your mental and physical health? Okay. Well, because I was going through, and this this is true for me, when I'm not doing well, when I'm mentally challenged, that's when my body starts to show it. Because in case, you know, I feel like people don't realize your brain and body are connected, despite what they tell you. <laughs> magically they in fact are connected um yes i was in super anxiety mode i was trying to save my business i was trying to save my employees jobs i was trying to get the money from the government which i swear to god it took like 50 percent of my time trying to deal with you have this window in four hours and you're on hold i mean the amount of time to figure out who to call when and what forms and where they go and do I qualify? And the fact that we're kicked out of our restaurant, I'm not kicked, but we had to leave the restaurant and we moved to Royal Oak. All of that money that we were eligible to from Hamtramck, from going through the pandemic and then Hamtramck. It just goes away. Yes. Yeah. So I started to have some problems with my hip. I have a lot of arthritis. And so I got to a point where it was like freezing up on me. So I used a cane Mm -hmm. and I went to the doctor and said, I think I might have MS, which my mom has, Mm -hmm. um, because my balance and my walking is so off. And they did a brain scan and they saw I have a DVA, which is an aneurysm. Mm -hmm. And I also have a brain tumor. And then they wanted to do more tests for that. But where I'm at right now is that I can only handle one body part at a time. Yeah, because it's like... If everything, like we were talking about with the um, autoimmune disorders, like there may be a chain reaction. Yes. So trying to conquer all of it at once, just like debt, just like bills, right? Yes. You, It's really hard to do all of them at once. Sometimes it's easier. Yeah, you might screw yourself a little bit, but to like do the snowball effect, right? Yes. Conquer on this one thing. Like I know I can do this one thing. Yes. You know? And that's, that's the other part of my happiness is – with all of this kind of swirled, and in some ways looking back, it kind of looks like everything fell apart at once. But no, it's more I grew out of things kind of at once. But 
the important part is I've learned how to deal with my emotions in small bits rather than have that fall apart moment where it feels like, oh my God, I made such horrible decisions and it's all my fault. No, I now process things kind of in its own space. And instead of feeling everything being wrong, I compartmentalize in a way. And with the mail, I save that for one day a week. I don't do it every day because it's torturous nowadays. I don't know if you open your mail every day, but for me, I do it one day a week. I throw out my mail every day. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I now make more space for myself instead of feeling compulsed to, I have to do this. Yeah. So you closed the restaurant. I did. And during this whole time, like Karen was super transparent about everything. She was transparent about her treatments her surgeries, she would post pictures, pictures of scars and like people responded like, and in a good way, you know, I don't think you get too much negative backlash for anything. I think that there were times during the restaurant when the restaurants were open that people would leave some shitty reviews, Mm -hmm. um, which always like blows my mind. It's like, you know, everyone's going through some bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, you got to wait 15 minutes for your fucking fries. Yes. But (laughs) like, other than that, I feel like people really responded very positively to you sharing your physical and mental health journeys because the thing is, and that was like, really, when I was thinking about my podcast, that was the same thing. Like people just don't, they see the accolades, right? They see best food truck year after year after year after year, right? They see best of, best of Detroit, like best this, best that. And they see the smiling face and they see, oh, like happy Karen on her food truck. They don't see this nightmare of shit that's gone into it. Yes. And so it's important. I think you attract the best audience and the clients and customers that are right for you once you're transparent about everything and they still keep coming. Yes. That's the difference, right? I don't want people that only want happy, smiley me. Yes. I want people that if they say, oh, how's it going? That I don't automatically say, okay, okay, or I'm fine. Well, I felt that people stopped seeing me as a person and saw me as a, a business brand. or a brand. And I would get upset when people would complain because I was, I was giving them a service. Yeah. And I'm just a person. And the people who worked for me were just people. And I had to protect the people who worked for me more than the customers. Yeah. Because customers got very anxious and very mean. Oh, yeah. It can happen for sure. Because they put you on a pedestal. And the second like you go off that pedestal, even if it's just temporarily, yes. if it's not within their wheelhouse of approval that can get really ugly really fast. So it's like then at that point that you've been transparent all this time, it's like now you're getting the people that are like continuing to support you and whatever your endeavors are. Yes. And they're like, okay, like I get it. You know, like I get it. I like where this person is. And so it's nice because it's not all about the brand anymore. It's not all about Nash Pit Detroit food truck, right? It's about now I'm supporting like Karen Khan and what she's doing. And so, um, so now your journey is really different. So now it's like, you've been kind of dabbling in a little bit of everything. So what is next up for, what is next up for you now that you've kind of gotten over and gotten through a lot, but still have more to go, obviously. Well, what I've done for the last couple months is try to find the things that make me happy while I'm going through the bankruptcy. Cause that's Finding a lot joy. Of, 
Yes. That's a lot of stress. And I don't want... How long does business bankruptcy take on average? Um, Because I think a lot of people wouldn't know that. A year. About a year. Okay. Because there was a lot of stuff that they wanted, uh, numbers and paper trails trails and reports and past taxes and doing our taxes in COVID and the amount of And it's crazy that it takes a year because it's like, duh, it's fucking COVID. Like... I would be like the meanest person if I had to claim business bankruptcy because I'd be like, duh. Like, so I appreciate any grace that you've had during the process. I'd be in jail. Thank you. Well, that's been me trying to take it easy, trying to find the little things that make me happy. I bought a motorcycle. I go on rides. She came on her motorcycle here. (laughs) I was like, like the owner of Pillar and Pride is like, is she here on a motorcycle? I'm like, most likely yes. That would be her. It's been finding those little things that bring me joy during a time of transition. The doggies. The doggies. The house. And, and she's, and you move. You own a house now? Yes. Yeah. I'm so it's like, nights. you have a little garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've been like popping up with different businesses and consulting for businesses, which obviously at this point is like gold. My next move is to start a program to mentor new food business yeah. here in Detroit. The vegan and whomever, yeah, people who want to make the leap, want to make that leap, and need that feeling of someone to kind of guide them, mentorship. Yeah, because um, I think you do need that. Yes. I think, and especially like with all that experience, I think that's vital. Yes, to be able to like offer. Like I've been through like hellfire, but I've been through great like successes. You mm-hmm. know. It's because it's not all turmoil. It's like, no, you've had this amazing journey. and But more importantly, you've had an amazing personal journey. Yes. And it, it's left me with some authenticity, not caring what other people judge of me, mm-hmm. and also a willingness to not judge others and be there. Kindness. Yes. Like overall kindness. So tell people where they can follow your next moves online, like on social media. I'm uh, facebook.com massive wires. And right now I'm about to go to Chef Donnie's pop ups. I'm with him every Monday for Meatless Mondays. They're really good. They're at Valentine Distilling in Ferndale. Yes. They're yeah. so good. They've been really fun. The weather's been nice, except for I think you had like one crazy stormy day. Yes. But people still came out. <laughs> and I came home and my trash cans were in the next yard. I'm like, wow, that was a lot worse than I thought it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and I'll be at frame with my friend Deutsch Troit until... Yeah. And um, they have vegan options there now, right? Like Deutsch yes. Troit does at frame. Yeah. Yes. Well, the little secret is they... Sean and Yana managed my food truck, the vegan food truck, for a year. Oh. And if there's anything that the employees from Nosh Pit learned, the non-vegan ones, they learned how to veganize things. Yeah. So what is one... Um, before we wrap up, what is one takeaway like from this whole, your whole experience and this crazy journey you've had, like what is the biggest takeaway that you want to tell people? I have it tattooed on my arm. It says, the braver I am, the luckier I get. And the more risk you're willing to take for your own happiness, the more luck you'll have. It doesn't always go the way that you expect it to, Mm -hmm. but it's not stopping me from making leaps still. I love that. So thank you for being my season finale guest on When Survival Looks Like Success. 
Um, I'm so happy the way this episode turned out, even with our Kermit dancing, (laughs) maybe more, maybe more because of the Kermit dancing. Um, and this was such a great first season. How cool, right? Don't forget to follow us again on Instagram and TikTok at when survival looks like success. I can't wait for you guys to see what we have in store for season two. There's so many announcements, updates, and content galore coming up. You are the best community of followers, so please share our podcast as much as possible with your friends, family, and anyone you feel it may benefit. These episodes are not designed to be in chronological order. If you have somebody struggling with grief, pull up the grief episode. If you have someone struggling with finding resources in Detroit, pull that up. If you have someone looking to start something in the vegan food community or in the food community period, pull this episode up. So I can't wait to see you guys for the next season, which is hopefully going to be in about three months. And thank you to our hosts today at Pillar and Pride. Again, they're at Seven and Woodward, and I encourage you to come out and support them because the biggest thing I have learned since opening my business in COVID, in the pandemic, is our community, if we keep our dollars in this community, we will have success. Yes. The end, point blank, do local, buy local, support local, share local. Even if you don't have money to, share their posts, share their social media. There is always something you can do. And even if their hours are a little odd or they have to close because people are not feeling, still have that empathy yeah. for us because I, we can't compete with the big corporations right now. And if you don't know how you can help, feel free to always message and ask. And anybody that is in business will be more than happy to help you out, especially if they're a small business here in Detroit. Let's keep it local, guys. Take care, my friends.